0: I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success, because together we're more. Hey, y'all. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation that was totally impromptu with Coach James Nels from Riverside Indian School. I was there one day visiting Terry Ware and Coach Nels came in and we started talking about his family history and I was like stop right there. Can I just record you? So he allowed me to do so and so you'll notice that we kind of start in the middle of a conversation in this recording but it was definitely well worth it and I hope you'll enjoy learning a lot more about the Navajo and about Coach Nels' life. He led a very interesting life and he is a veteran so we thank him for his service. Y'all key, y'all. Enjoy. James, you are a coach here at Riverside Indian School, correct? Yes, I am. And how long have you been here?
1: Uh, this is my 15th year.
0: All right.
1: And uh, before we go, can I go and um, introduce myself properly? Please you know, do. Traditionally, I'm a full-blooded Navajo, born in Winslow, Arizona, raised on the Navajo Reservation, and went to boarding school in New Mexico. but um. Traditionally, we were taught to go and say our clan, so I would say, Yat eh, James Nels, Inch he Ishinhin bit at chin, sit che And what that says is, Hello, my name is James Nels, I'm Salt Clan, born for Under His Cover Clan. My uh, paternal or my mother's side grandparents are black streak people, or black streak in the wood, and then on um, my dad's side, that client is red bottom people. And that's how I identify myself. And then that's how the creators or the divine people above know you also in our ways too. So, wow. and then uh, one of the things that is about that too is when you go to an audience and you introduce yourself, you might be introducing yourself to some of your relatives, you know. So you got to have that respect. And then uh, wow. something that's sort of funny about that too is that when you introduce yourself and you run across a beautiful young lady, or you know, if you're a lady and you run across a handsome man, you might be related, so you can't have no relationship. So you
0: really <laughs> got to be thorough, especially yep, because so. you're in the Native American yeah, so. communities are so small.
1: Yeah, but that's how we. <laughs> properly introduce ourselves.
0: That's beautiful, I love that, yeah. to go back that, and then you do have to know your heritage because yeah. you have to introduce yourself that way. Yeah. So with the black streak in the wood, can you explain more about that to me?
1: It's a clan and uh, I'm not too sure how to. we've got a, ah, I can't remember the exact numbers of clans, but we have all kinds of different clans and mm. some of the old clans that originated from the beginning have sort of extinct out, like mm. I believe there's one called Ishing Hens, which is a salt clan the same, but it's now Ishing, you know, and uh, it's still a salt clan, but the original sane and the original clan has sort of subsided and died out, and it's now, I guess, the salt itself. I don't know how to really explain that, but uh, yeah, it continues on, you know. And I just wondered if, like,
0: they got their name from... Being
1: stealthier in the woods, or or something. Who knows? Yeah, there's always a uh, a story behind these things, so you know. Yeah. I was never really given that, and then uh, just like, um, there's many different um, clans. There's some like, you know, uh, or you know, different things that's talking about maybe the area or the people that are around that area, mud, water, and stuff like this. So mm-hmm. it, it varies, you know, there's a lot of different clans, and then you've got some that are coming from different surrounding Native American people, like, uh, you know, um, maybe some of the famous people that have, that we, inter- you know, got ourselves involved with way back. We developed a uh, clan from that and stuff like that. So yeah. each one of those clan has a Meaning and a beginning, so
0: and it's, it's so it far back. Started, yeah, I mean, so. it's so far back. Who would even know what black streak means at this point? Yeah. So interesting. And so you said that you grew up on the Navajo Reservation. And tell us a little bit about the Navajo, as far as the um, area that they were in and the area they're in now.
1: Well, we uh, believe in our four sacred mountains, and our people were basically in in between those mountains and they were protected and blessed with them, you know. And uh, you got one that is called Tsinagina, which is going to the east and then to the south is So which is uh, Mount Taylor going to the south and then the Kosalid which is uh, San Francisco peaks in um, the west and then the Benitzah, which is in the, North in Colorado, which is a, a big sheep mountain, I guess you'd say, and got two others in the center. So mm-hmm. we evolved from that area. It's in around Arizona, New Mexico, Four Corners area, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, we were, we had a large portion of land, but when the uh, Calvary's got involved and sort of had some confrontations with us, our land sort of shrunk, mm-hmm. and uh, we we're. March to Fort Sumner, New Mexico, way back in the 1800s, 1864, back around that time period. and um, Kit Carson helped go and round our people up, but not all Navajos surrendered. Yeah. You know, a portion of them surrendered and went on to uh, Fort Sumner, the rest that stayed away and didn't surrender, they stayed in our general area there. and. They survived, and about four years later, we were released back to our original homeland. But at yeah. that time, they gave us a smaller area. Yeah. So, you know, we never really uh, got defeated in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still proud people. We still hang on to our beliefs and our traditions as much as we can. And we try to teach our younger people all these things. And, mm-hmm. And nowadays, education is important, reading and writing, and the English language is uh, pretty predominant, and you have to have that for—to survive in today's world, but—and uh, back home on a reservation, we have to learn—we should learn our ways, too, in our language. And that was our first—our uh, first language growing up. But nowadays it's changed a whole lot. Sure. So. And
0: was it for you your
1: first language growing up? Yeah, it was. Our parents were basically uneducated but uh, they went to school some and were learned a little but didn't really go far beyond. In fact, I was the first one in my family to go and uh, go on to college and there's four of us siblings two that didn't graduate from high school and my oldest sister and I were the only ones to go and uh, graduate. I went on to college and then uh, graduated from college and then the rest of my sisters followed along and uh, they eventually took some uh, college classes and got their GEDs and stuff like this too. So That's awesome. My oldest sister became a nurse, went nursing school and so it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, you know, so, I'd say that's pretty good,
1: but, actually. Yeah. Especially when uh, you think about the background that we evolved from. Our parents were alcoholics, and mm-hmm. um, you know it was a tough life growing up. But you know what? Um, I don't really see it as a tough life. It was a, an experience, learning one. And uh, when it came down to it, we still loved our mom and our dad, no matter what hardships they might have brought us. But when everybody was sober and happy, we were a mm-hmm. loving family and we cared for one another.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, we've lost our parents since, but my sisters and I, we still come together and we try to help one another and love one another. And uh, mm-hmm. when I take my family back to New Mexico, we go and um have my sisters and us go see a medicine man for prayers and
2: mm-hmm. blessings.
1: So we carry on that tradition. I am married to a uh, Cheyenne Arapaho lady. Her name's Daisy Alana Pratt, and now her last name is Nels. We have uh, seven kids, five boys and two daughters. They all participate in the Arapaho side, and um, they all sing and dance, and we traveled to the United States. My daughter, Lena, was uh, Miss Indian, Oklahoma, in 2002, I think it awesome. was. And my... Uh, Oldest daughter Lena and my youngest son Elijah have been uh, in the military. No, I myself was in the military.
0: Oh, thank you for your service, officer, Yeah, so what you know, service were you in?
1: Army, the United States Army, and so Great. so were they. Great. So it was pretty good, but yeah, yeah, I try to pass on all this information to my kids in our Navajo ways, and they participate in our Navajo Ceremonials, and then we travel up to wyoming P Wyoming—for uh, my wife's side of the family, and uh, participate in their uh, Ceremonials up there. And we carry on a lot of our traditional ways and That's try wonderful. to help out, too.
0: And in a time when there are so few that do actually participate in the traditional ways—although I feel like the pendulum's kind of swinging the other way, do you? I mean, I. mean, I feel like I'm starting to see people wanting to pick up the language
1: more and and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, I'm seeing where they're beginning to feel a little bit more pride in themselves, and their mm-hmm. tribe. And they're trying to identify or find out who they are, where they come from. And that's one of the things I always, you know, try to tell my students, you know, be proud of who you are, where you come from, you know. Ask your grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, who you are, or you know how to say certain things, and just the different little things that mean a lot in life, you know. So I go and advice. try and emphasize that respect for the elders and stuff. So
0: when it comes to your time at the, you went to a boarding school in New Mexico. What was the name of it?
1: It was Fort Wingate, New Mexico, and. Um, I spent my high school years there, 9th through 12th, and I I was pretty successful. But, you know, I hate to say this, but it's true. uh, I was an alcoholic at the time. I was drinking already. You were
0: young, huh? I
1: was young. I started in fourth grade, believe it or not. I stole from my parents and started drinking back then. And I was in uh, fifth and sixth grade drinking with a lot of um, Vietnam veterans coming back, you know. so it just carried on all through high school and into college but uh i was still successful (laughs) yeah
0: you're (laughs) functioning
1: and i think that uh a lot had to do with the prayer and the spirits and not getting lost in that manner Mm -hmm. i prayed all the time and i still do that all the time you know pray and i've been sober since may 1st 1986. congratulations I met my wife, we got married, and after two years of marriage, she said, Look, you know, I want you to stop your drinking and be more of a father and a a uh, you know caretaker, a husband, and you know be responsible, take care of us or get out of my life, and you won't have to worry about us also you know? I didn't want to go down the same parent the same road my parents were, you know, mm-hmm. so I finally quit. And I'm very grateful I did and was successful too. So
0: that's powerful and really a great opportunity for those who may be listening that may have struggled with the same thing or be struggling with it right now that people can change, right? I mean people yeah. and it's day by day, I know, but congratulations.
1: Yeah. You know, um, when I was in boarding school before I got to boarding school, I was in a foster home for a couple of years too. Uh-huh. I, <laughs> I sort of Ran off from that place, too, and uh, went back to the reservation, but uh, I started running, and that's something that I became successful about, you know. Mm. And I, when I was in uh, seventh, seventh and eighth grade, I was up in Utah, and I became a pretty good runner and carried on to high school, and high school, my high school coach, Mr. Dewey Bowling, made a lot of difference. Mm. I uh, he was my mentor and I wanted to eventually be like him and he was a a uh, Mm non-native pro football, ex-pro football player and um, he uh, my freshman year I made it to state high school uh, track championships and I took second at state and at that time my coach, Mr. Bowling, said hey uh, James, I was gonna resign this year but um I'm gonna stay with you until you graduate and together we're gonna to break wow. that two mile state record and I didn't think much about it and I just agreed with him and he did that. He stayed with me until I graduated Excuse and uh, me my senior year we beat that uh two mile state record, but I got beaten it and I at the same time and came in second and uh yet I was Pretty successful. I Still went pretty and got good. a scholarship and went on oh. to college and made all American in college. And my sophomore year, I wanted to be like Dewey Bowling. I wanted to work with Native American kids in a boarding school, and I wanted to coach. And that's what I do nowadays.
0: <laughs> How often do people say, "I want to do that"? Yeah, and the exact so, and this is such a narrow niche. The fact that yeah. you know Riverside fifteen years ago had an opening, you took it.
1: Yep. Well, you know, I I owe a lot to Mr. Uh, Dearman, uh, Tony Dearman, on that part. I was working at Sequoia after I got out of the military, you um, I was helping coach Deer and he seen how successful we were, and he came over here as the superintendent and principal and superintendent, and about a year later he asked me if I wanted to come over. He wanted. Uh, me to start the cross country program like we had at Sequoia, so I did that, and I've been here since. And uh, within them, fifteen years, we uh, I was three times runner up with the boys, and wow. uh, third one time, and fourth twice. And uh, had a lot of, I had state champions, and had a lot of all staters, and a lot of honorable mention all staters. So I feel pretty successful with our program here.
0: It's great congratulations yeah, and and to your your runners. And yeah. so you are living the dream right now here at Riverside and do you see kids that in your, you know, kind of mimic what you were going through at one time?
1: I I see a lot of that and I try to go and explain to them, you know, that they have every opportunity to do something with their life just like I did and uh they have no one to blame except themselves. Mm-hmm. As far as they go in life, the world might be crumbling down around them. They might go and have parents that are dysfunctional, say so just like in my case, alcoholic parents. You know, but that's no excuse. You make that choice to make go as far as you want. And I realized that and I tell them those things and I I don't try to hide the fact that I was an alcoholic I don't try to hide Good. the fact that my parents were alcoholics and that at uh, one time in our lives we didn't have no electricity or running water and stuff like this and I was embarrassed to run to the trading post and get kerosene for our kerosene lamps and all. and sometimes there's hardly no food at all and I had a younger sister I had to take care of so there's with all that. Uh the people that I go and teach, some of them coming from the same background. I tell them that there's no excuse, you know. There's always a way to get out of there. It's up to them. So wow. and I'm willing to go and work with them as much as I can and believe it or not, I've got some that uh graduated from here, you know, when I first got here that I stay in contact with and they uh say that I'm still their father figure to them and help them and then they introduce you to their family, and they say, "This is your grandpa." So <laughs> it makes me feel good.
0: I know it's like, how do you not get teary-eyed over that? So wow, you mentioned that you were on the reservation, and you and um, there were some challenging times. Whoa. You ran away. You went to foster care, and then you went to the boarding school, which ended up setting you into this new path. And so that's very inspiring, obviously, especially for people who may may have had similar situations in their lives to see now that you're a successful coach and you have these this team that's doing really well. Um, but going back to the reservation itself, you mentioned that sometimes there was no electricity and no food. And I think that's what most people in this country think of when they think of a reservation. Some do better than others, some reservations have better living arrangements than others, but. It sounds like, in your case, yours was kind of that stereotypical
1: scenario. Yeah, it was to a certain extent, you know, but our grandfather, his name was which means um, mean medicine man, and he always used to tell us as we were growing up, especially I'd help him get his uh, medicine bag ready too, but jish, you know. Mm-hmm. It's called Jish and he I help him get it ready. But he told me along the way, you know means which you know, like go to a higher level of school or college in a sense, but yet he was uneducated and he mm-hmm. didn't speak nothing but Navajo. And uh wow. he's wise in his I guess in his mind and wisdom and he could see a lot that's happened and, so he told me to do that and I always held that I guess in my heart and this stuff. So
2: Yeah. And
1: uh they never I never reflected on it until I got later on in life you know, and started realizing right. hey, I need to do something with my life and a lot of times we growing up on a reservation we go and um, have grudges against the government because of this and that or whatever else, all the hardships but we didn't live at that in them times, you know I could always have used those as an excuse to be unsuccessful or excuse to go and not go to school and all this stuff, but you know, I didn't hold it against them, and I still don't you know. Mm-hmm. I chose to go and live the life that I'm living, and I'm taking care of my family and my kids and my grandkids and uh, what happened in the past past, I can't change that. Yeah. It's there, it's history, we have got to move forward. And I always tell the kids, you know, when they say they want to help their family out, I say the best way to help their family is get educated, go to college, and then once you're successful that way, go back and help your family. So, totally. You know, Help yourself
2: first, and yeah, then you can exactly. pick other people help
1: the yeah. other people up. And a lot of them come up with that excuse, well, i to go home, I want to leave school, I want to go home and find a job and help out. Well, they didn't have a job to begin with, and it was easy. I tell them, you know, and whether it hurts or not, I tell them, your family send you over here to Riverside for a certain reason, so that they could go and you could have a, a bed to sleep in, food to eat, and they don't have to worry about you for yeah. all the hardships going on at home, you know. Right. So, and um, I tried to tell them that, you know, but hey, if you don't like what's going on with the government, too, go to college, get educated, then make a change, you know. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but uh, that's how I feel.
0: I think that's great advice, absolutely. So you went into the Army, and how many years did you serve?
1: I spent eight years, four months, and ten days in the military. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Candidate by the day.
1: Uh, no, and, um, I joined the military. I was still single, but I graduated from Central State University, which is in Edmond, which is now UCO, and um, I realized I wasn't mature enough or ready to go and um, be a teacher. I was still drinking and being wild and doing Mm -hmm. some things that I shouldn't be doing, and um, I decided that uh, I better do something else for the time being because I didn't want to get in trouble as a teacher.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, I met my wife after I graduated, and then um, I joined the military and spent eight years there. I went to OCS and became a officer, and I got oh. my Ranger tab. And I jumped out of airplanes, and I led my men through what? Iraq and uh, during Desert Storm. And so I, I felt pretty successful and. At that time, I was—I had stopped drinking and everything else too, so yeah. I was uh, pretty uh, clear in my thoughts and mine and training and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to lead my man and so I was pretty happy.
0: When you'd gotten to that point in the service, did you ever look back and go, "I'm the kid that ran away from home, and I, you know, was in this foster care system," and did you ever look back and go, "How did I get here"?
1: No, I never really looked back on that. You know, I can't change it. You yeah. know? it's it's good to go and I guess look back and reflect on it, but I always wanted to go forward with my life and do the right thing and make the right choices, and then raise my kids the same way. I could tell them how I was, and then I say, hey, don't drink and don't drive, or don't go and do these things, and you know. I guess cliche, you know. Well, you did it, Dad. Well, I did it. That's why I'm telling, <laughs> That's you, why I'm telling you not, you not do it, to do Dad. it. Do as <laughs> yeah. uh, I say, not as I do. Yeah,
0: you know, uh,
1: they all. I'm sure they all had their try times to try and do these things, you know. Yeah. And um, as a parent and as a grandparent too, all I can do now is love them, and I think that our family's pretty successful. They all graduated from high school, and two graduated from college. They all got a taste That's of college great. and. They have families of their own and they're all working and so.
0: That's great. Are they all here in
1: Oklahoma? Uh, No, we're sort of spread out different ways Um, and I think that what my wife and I instilled in our kids is coming back, you know, in a good way. We always tell them help out each other and I always tell them in our Navajo ways you're always going to help your mother no matter what. Always help your mom, always help your mom. So they go and try to help their mom out and Every once in a while, my kids would try to give me say some money, you know, and uh, I always tell them, "Hey, well, give it to mom; she needs it," you know. Yeah, and yeah. So,
2: Aww. it's
1: pretty good, and I have some that, you know, some son that bought my wa- my wife um washers and dryers, and they all pitched in and um nice. do different things like that.
0: They're good kids. Did a <laughs> good job, Dad. <laughs> well, uh,
1: let me tell you this real story, real quick. I think it was our twenty fifth anniversary, and our kids always used to say when they were growing up, they were small, uh, you know, Mom, Dad, we want to buy you a house. And my oldest son would say, I want to buy Mom a 4x4 truck and stuff like that. So <laughs> anyway, um, our son was up in Wyoming, and he's living up there with his wife. And around our 25th anniversary, we were up there. We were going to our tribal ceremonials up there to Sundance. Yeah. East T, Wyoming mm-hmm. and all um, our kids told us, hey, mom, dad, come to the living room, and uh, we we're at Riverton. Come to the living room and sit down, close your eyes, don't peek. So we sat there, my wife and I, and uh, we heard this commotion going on, and you could hear thuds and some, it sounded like sticks on stick and stuff like that, so we just kept our eyes closed, and about maybe 10 minutes later, they said, okay, go ahead, open your eyes, and we opened our eyes, and. They laid a half rolled out teepee, and they laid the stakes and the pins and the rope and everything else. And they said, uh, Mom, Dad, 25th anniversary, we always told you that we'd buy you a house, 20-foot brand new teepee. Then they took us in their backyards. They had the teepee poles out there that they went and got themselves I love to. I It was pretty unique and pretty nice. I bought my mom
0: a (laughs) plant.
1: So it was good. They bought us over our house, you know. uh,
0: I love that.
1: It was good, yeah. They're so good. So So it made our day. And August eleventh, my wife and I celebrated our thirty seventh anniversary.
0: Congratulations!
1: It's pretty good.
0: Wow, that's awesome. What's the secret to a happy, healthy marriage?
1: I guess. trusting in each other's and believing in each other's and telling each others you love them you know yeah. and uh, I, I don't know I love my wife and I tell her that every chance I get and she's vice versa and we meet each other's 5050 I believe and mm-hmm. you know I try to give her breaks and I, when we were when the kids were small I try to give her her time and you know, all and vice versa she'd go and try and give me my time but I tried to give her a lot more freedom, especially when I was in the military. Uh, I spent a lot of time away from the family and missed a lot of holidays and missed a lot of uh, anniversaries and birthdays and stuff like this. And my wife had it pretty hard when uh, hmm. we were in Iraq. You know? She had to be there for the family and the kids, and I bet. Yeah. she went and served her time in a sense, you know. And, as a military person, a lot of times we fail to realize what the wife and how strong they are when they're backing up their service man, mm-hmm. especially if they're in the combat zone, you know, and uh, that's what she was and she had to be strong for the family and, oh, and yeah. stuff, so I really appreciate her help in that sense, you know. What a
0: trooper. So, I love that you've paid that tribute to her. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. she appreciates that. <laughs> so what's her name again? Honey. Honey. Her name's <laughs> Honey. Honey. <Yeah. laughs> Happy anniversary. Yeah. It's
1: uh, Daisy Ilana. Daisy.
0: So, yeah. well, so, well, to uh, Daisy and um, James, we say congratulations.
2: Yeah.
0: So, so, you know, part of Native Chalk Talk's purpose is to make sure we help preserve our ancestors' stories and and. And also just share our own stories, and you have yeah. done that. Is there anything that you can think of that you'd like to share about your mom, your dad, your grandparents? Well, Great. yeah,
1: let me uh, tell you a real quick story. You know, our Navajo name, Nels. Nels isn't a Navajo name. It was <laughs> I bet. given to us, in a sense. and um, It derives from a story that was passed on. Our great-great-grandfather, I guess you'd say his name was Dextone, or Gunner. And he had two sons, and uh, they did a terrible thing on the Navajo reservation at a trading post and apparently burned it down, and this stuff, as the story goes. And then they were uh, incarcerated, you know, Mm -hmm. when they were children. Well, when they went to jail or was incarcerated, a lawyer by the last name of Nels uh, took them under their wings and represented them and gave them their last name, and they were— asked to choose their, their first names and one was John and one was um <laughs> Of
0: course, I know, right? Mels, yeah.
1: <laughs> John and um Yeah, I can't even think of anyway they were twin sons, you know. Yeah. Their were sons for the Dinah Gunner and um I slipped my mind. But anyway, John was our our grandfather. And, uh oh, wow. Out at Sebedakai. And um, long story short, that lawyer represented them, and they were able to go and uh, obtain that name, Nels, from that lawyer. Huh. And uh, I guess it's maybe a Scandinavian name or something. Wow. So, uh, it's not a real Navajo name, but yeah. And um, John Nels was our grandfather out at uh, Kai and uh, he's pretty good, so... But their name, their dad was a Desptona or Gunner. And his his picture is very well known on a postcard and this stuff. And uh, he's, I guess, in history books too. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just a long story short.
0: That's pretty interesting.
1: So, anyway, who did that? And um, John Nell was out at a. And he worked in a boarding school, and his wife was Louise. Go visit them and have fun. And my dad was out there, his name was Edward. And as we were growing up on the reservation, we did a lot of herding sheep and riding horses and running around out there and hauling wood and water. And then uh, I remember my grandfather, who had a wooden wagon too. We'd play with that wagon when they were away. We'd hook up, hook up the horses to them, and we'd go get them running. But we did that because we had ropes, and we had some old tires. We'd tie it to the back of those wagons, and
2: <laughs> one of them would be
1: a <laughs> horse and wagon. Awesome. The rest of us be sitting on that tire in the back being drugged along. We used to be naughty in the sense. That so it was pretty good. We had fun, and We'd help out at different ceremonials, and one time we were at a what they call a squad dance, and they had this one um tent full of um full of uh supplies, you know, food supplies, and they had those uh flowers in their bags of flour. Well, there were several pigs around there that got into it, so they we were chasing those pigs around the dance area and trying to rope them, and we we're just kids <laughs> and having fun, and all those things were all. Wonderful uh, memories and stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, as we were growing up, all the young men slept outside underneath a chaho or a shade house. And um, we'd sleep there all summer long and this stuff and have fun with that. And we'd get up in the morning, you'd hear them say, the <laughs> betch, and cod. You know, they tell us that, you know, hey, you guys, get up, let the sheep uh, go herd sheep. <laughs> Or else some mornings you wake up and go, oh, "Yeah, So a little Zen," you know. They tell us, "Get up, pray," you know. Oh, before the sun come up and just barely a heart streak along the mountains, there would be out praying and stuff like that. Or, or else uh, some mornings you hear, in your sleep, you hear that sound, and you hear the old the women talking, and what they were doing was, they'd be building a. Making breakfast in a sense, okay. you know. And they'll be making that bread and you could Oof, hear that fire yes. crackle and sometimes you smell that coffee and you wake up and stretch and stuff. It's beautiful. Those are all good memories and that is during the winter time we'd have a single room home at my grandmother's place too and all the adults would be on the like the bed or the couch or whatever was available and all us kids would be bedded down on the floors, you know and what they called the ill, you know, and it's mm. the sheep wool that they went on um, save after they butchered the sheep, and yeah. it's got thick wool, and you just put a sheet over it, and it was like a cushion, you know, and We'd nice. be there, and they'd have that fireplace, and uh, you'd have your cedar wood inside that fireplace, and you'd smell that cedar, and uh, your grandparents and your mom and dad would be talking, and they'd be telling stories in Navajo, and that a uh, stove would have like three vents, and you'd see that fire dancing on the on the so wall, nice. and you'd fall asleep somewhere along the way. It was beautiful. You know? I love
0: good this. memories. I can, I can so. picture all of
1: it. Yeah, so it was always good, you know. Or else sometimes we'd be helping, and uh, my grandparents would there be singing. You'd sit up all night long, while, you know, maybe holding an instrument in your hand to help. Uh, give strength and blessing to that person that's being sung on, you know, and you mm-hmm. had to do your part too. So there's a lot of things. Um, we were taught a lot of things. Here recently, Um, when they had that total eclipse of the sun or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, I was here at Riverside, I took all the Navajo kids to my room. We closed up all the windows and doors and we sat still and. We couldn't go to sleep. We couldn't be noisy or running around. We couldn't eat or drink, nothing. During that eclipse, you know, this is the way it's supposed to be, you Mm. know. So we were supposed to be holy during that time. So I did that in my classroom. The school here at Riverside allowed that, and we had some of the parents from back home call and ask about stuff like that. When we was growing up in high school, um, we didn't really dissect in our classes, you know, because of... it's against our beliefs, mm. and we're able to go and uh, get away with some of that stuff, you know. But, um,
0: <laughs> huh.
1: it, it's sort of crazy, but you know, so
0: you weren't supposed were, to dissect because
1: yeah. of your, yeah, you're not supposed to cut on things like that, and especially, uh, you know, frogs or anything mm-hmm. like that. You no, know, it's
0: unless you're good. eating
1: it, Well, We don't even eat that, too,
2: mm.
1: in our Navajo ways, you don't eat those kind of things, but. It, they say that it comes back in your later life and makes you sick and causes all this stuff There so you know so. And, uh, there's certain reasons that you can't look at the moon or the Sun and there' eclipse and this stuff it's going to cause you sickness in the sense mm-hmm. you know and um here recently about two years ago at my house in telequa area we had a big old tree there that got struck by lightning and so we had some prayers done and I, as a Navajo, couldn't cut that t- tree down and couldn't touch it and this stuff because we believed that it's going to cause cancer. Hmm. So uh, I told my kids that and they, they were laughing at me. Hey, Dad, we're Rappahoes, you know. <laughs> that <laughs> we'll doesn't apply to us, so we can get it. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it, yeah. <laughs> I started laughing. I said, don't do that. You're still part now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the neighbor... Came over several days later. Well, you know, about maybe two months later, I said, hey, what are you going to do about that tree? I said, well, he goes, uh, I said, nothing. Man. And I t- explained to him about that. He goes, well, I'll cut it down if you don't mind, and I'll take it, you know.
0: Nice. So he did, did
1: that.
0: Took care yeah. of it. Yeah, and took he got
1: sick. <laughs> 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 He's a Cherokee guy, but. Um,
0: He'll be all right.
1: Yeah. And then, you know what, Um, we grew up eating a lot of mutton and butchering <clears throat> and stuff like that, sheep yeah. and stuff like that, and all. Uh, Another funny story, had our kids, went out to my dad's place, Sabedock High, Arizona, and butchered a sheep, and I gave my kids the stomach, and I said, hey, go take that stomach way over there, and I'll dump the insides, and then bring back the stomach, you know. (laughs) My two sons went over there, and I guess they came walking back, and their hands were sticking out because of the content of the stomach was all over their hands, and it was dirty. I said, "I said, hey, what'd you guys do with the darn uh, stomach?" I said, "We just threw it up there in the dirt." I said, "What do you mean? You're supposed to clean it." Oh, I got mad. I said, "We go get it." And so they went back over there, and they, that stomach was sort of damp, so it picked up all that dirt and it was like a mud ball. Yuck. <laughs> it brought back that mud ball. By that time, I got mad. And, can't take uh, you anywhere. One of my son, can't take you nowhere. But my son, one of my sons said, "Dad." I, I got a old stick, man. I got mad. He goes, I'm not Navajo. So I got mad. Well, I got that stick and I struck my son in the thigh, and that <laughs> stick just shattered. Me. And he looked at me and he said, That's my who side, Dad. <laughs> 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 oh, there's nothing I could, I could do nothing. There's
0: about
1: nothing it was, you could say to you that. Know. You
0: know, it was pretty brilliant. If you think. It about was, it.
1: It was beautiful, but you know they use that stomach to make blood sausage. So
0: oh, they do. Yeah, okay. they, when they
1: butchered, they save the the blood and they make blood sausage, and mm-hmm. that's what they were gonna use okay. for. Except he threw
0: it in the dirt, and it became a big mud <laughs> ball. So
1: yeah, we had clean. <laughs> It was funny. We do stuff like that, so they had fun with it. So this
0: is my arapaho, dad.
1: Um, yeah, you know, I love my kids and my family. They sound great.
0: Yeah. You
1: really do. But, uh, you know, on my wife's side, we uh, participate in her Rappos side, and we used to travel up Wyoming quite a bit. They're ceremonial people, and they helped take care of a lot of Sundance Lodge, and our kids grew up helping set them up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we all sang, did powwows, and we had our own drum called Little Thunder Singers, traveled the United States and some into Canada. and. They're all pretty much champion dancers themselves, too. So it pretty good. And composed some songs. Yeah, I do, <clears throat> man. Uh... Not calling wood. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> no, I'm a traditional dancer. <laughs> well, anyway.
0: Well, I knew you were in shape for running, but I didn't. Know. Oh my god. That was funny. Can't say as I've partaken in that, but I don't judge. (laughs) No, I was
1: going to do that. I was going to see how you're going to Is that
0: why there's so many ones in your wallet? Yep. Oh Oh my god. (laughs) Oh.
1: That was a good one. Anyway.
2: Never
0: asked James if he dances. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we
1: did that. We all traveled all over the United States singing and dancing and doing stuff like that. So.
0: Nice.
1: And uh, we have fun with that and we still do that. Yeah. And so do you
0: do the Navajo dances or the Rapaho? I've, I I've
1: done some help dance in a Navajo style, but more so, more new, like squad dance and then you know, uh my dad. Are you saying to, squad dance? Yeah, squad dance, okay. but it's not a really true statement of what it is. Those are yeah. dances that are done for ceremonial purposes, and there's different types of those dances. And yeah. one that they did for me is called the enemy way or anadja. and it's done for your veterans when they come back from uh, Okay. The yeah. military, and you know. that's. It's in general, those dances are called squad dances, but are—they uh, hmm. all have their different meanings. They're do- done for different reasons, and that enemy way is done to cleanse the soldier or the military person from all the evil that they might have encountered, or s- their smell, their taste, or touch, anything that they've seen. It's getting all that bad stuff hmm. away. You know, they call it I guess. The chini, which is like it's ghosts and this stuff, and you don't want to have all this flashback and all these elements from what you experience. so huh. that's why you have that anyway somewhere, and they did that for me too, so— What an
0: honor to have yeah, someone so. do that for you.
1: Well, mainly it's to go and continue a good, healthy, spiritual life and be in harmony with life itself. Yeah. So they did that to go— I love that. Make me a uh, well person.
0: Yeah, I guess one of the beliefs
1: <clears throat> behind that is that a a military personnel don't go and have this done. They become like a lost soul, and then you see you hear a lot of them having um flashbacks or going on uh, you know becoming alcoholics into drugs and this stuff, and some even ending their lives. It's because they never came back into harmony with life, mm-hmm. and they don't get rid of that evil that was against them or the spirit of the enemy, you know, the ghost of the enemy. So that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I cleansed myself, and then I went through my wife's side to Sundance and mm-hmm. purified myself, too. And uh, well, and, uh, God blessed that way for my family and myself, too, and for others. That's
0: nice. Yeah. I like that. Different. Yeah. Do you know much
1: about your parents' background? Where are they from? Are they from— Okay, from the my uh, mother was from around um, Cedar Springs, Arizona. She was raised from around there, and my dad was from around Cebracayo, Ohio. originally I guess they sort of came from the Chinle area and moved out towards Cebracayo. Mm. That's all in Arizona, and um, my mom was— gr- trying to go to school and I think she only got to like 6th grade or something like that. My dad was older than my mom one day my the story goes that my mom came back for like Christmas break and her my grandmother told my mom pack up all your stuff and clothes and this stuff and she did sort of baffled about that, didn't understand why but what happened while she was at school was that uh my um dad asked for her hand in marriage and <laughs> they he paid uh, a bracelet and I guess a few other items for my mom. Oh
2: wow.
1: and <clears throat> my mom didn't have a say so.
2: Yeah.
0: And wow. she didn't
1: have a say so, so she went with my dad and uh Wow <laughs> And uh they had uh us kids.
0: And how and old was
1: she again? She's um I, I want to you know what I really don't know if she was
0: young though young yeah, yeah. I would
1: say about anywhere from 14, 15 maybe 16 years old wow <clears throat> my dad was older but uh, anyway um, she uh, she used to tell us and they eventually got separated because he was drinking and mm. he became abusive and uh, Sad. you know she left him after she had three of us and um anyway um she always used to tell us, "I when I first met your dad, I used to think he was the ugliest man." <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Poor <laughs> girl, she's like, <laughs> "I have to marry him." <laughs> and then, yeah, and she didn't have to say so, but you know what? In the end, it was that we you know she had beautiful kids out of it.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and, she did.
1: <laughs> and uh, you uh, know, after they became um. They became separated. They, they they continued to know each other and correspond, and uh, we huh. continued to visit and this stuff as much as we can. And as the tradition carries on, they were no longer you know husband and wife. They became more like brothers and sisters. So they'd visit with each other, and we could tease them, and I could tease them about <laughs> things like this too. You know, so
0: gave you the right
1: then, to yeah. And then in the meantime, my dad um, we got remarried to Nellie. You know, and uh, she used to go and uh be called her mother too, you know, and stuff like that. But uh my mom would be there and we'd all tease each other. They'd all tease each other, yeah. you know, so there was no animosity towards That's so each other, you know. So that was all put aside.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As we were told too, as a man, I was told that you would go to the ladies' side and you would go and uh help out that family and this stuff, but you would never forget your mom. You'd mm-hmm. go back and help her. Your first uh, your first duties was to your wife and her side of the family and your kids and then you'd go back and help your mom out and if you ever got a separation everything would go to that lady that you married no matter what you know yeah and you didn't have like that, that dispute everything would go to her you would only get back you know go back home with what you came with which you, basically your clothes mm-hmm. and your
0: stuff mm-hmm. you know,
1: everything else would belong to that later lady. If it was done traditionally. Wow! So.
0: Wow! Interesting. Yeah. So
1: it was pretty good.
0: I like that there was harmony mm-hmm. among you, your family, mm-hmm. even though it had there was the separation between your parents. Yeah. It's great.
1: So it was, mm-hmm. it was fun. I had, I think I had a pretty uh, remarkable upbringing, and I was able to see both sides, and I was able to get educated, and mm-hmm. I was able to live a, a happy medium in sense, Yeah. You know, so.
0: yeah. And you I found your it. way on your own. I mean, obviously, yeah. with the support yeah. of your wife. I mean, I love that she basically was like, "Here's the line. You you got to yeah. pick a side,"
1: and then you yeah. did it. Yeah, Here's and that. I, I love her to the, to this day. And uh, you know, I guess I could say there is not another lady in this whole world that could ever match my wife. And that's just Aww. how I feel. You know. And if something was to ever happen to her, you know, I wouldn't try to go and uh, <laughs> find someone else because mm-hmm. she's given me all this and it's, uh,
2: yeah. I don't
1: want to don't lose that memory. And I wouldn't want to go and hurt my uh, grandkids or my kids, you know. Aww. He loves love you, that. Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love her and she knows that. I tell her all the time.
0: Oh, so. I love that. So
1: you're, you talked a little bit about your parents, and then what about your grandparents? Did you know them growing um, up? Yeah, we were raised around with them a lot. My grandfather, like I said, was He's a medicine man, and all right. he was. People would come all time of the nights, all time of the day, and they would come after, you know, after him, and he would always leave with them. He's, you know have his, he had his own little hogan, and my grandmother had her own little house, and he had his uh, hogan, a hogan's a dirt floor, wooden and mud uh, house, you know, there's nothing modern about it, and you know. anyway, he um, had everything precise where he wanted it and how he wanted it in his medicine bag in a certain area. and. He had everything covered in plastic pretty much so that dust and dirt wouldn't go and no. get it dirty and all. Yeah. Nobody went in there except for business and he would lived there. When it was time to eat or whatever, he'd always come back up to the house and eat with us and yeah. Then go back to his area and this stuff and all. So wow.
0: it was pretty neat. So he was probably seen as a wise
1: <clears throat> person. Yeah. And you know, he had a favorite horse when I was growing up. He had a favorite horse and he would uh I was always crying around about wanting to ride that horse and no no, you know, he'd be telling us, No, you can't, you know, that's your grandfather's horse, you know. It doesn't know anybody except him, so eventually they let me ride it, you know, feeling sorry for me. So I rode that horse and it started bucking with me after a while and I got thrown with it and popped my knee out of place and Oh no. My dad went on. Uh, got me on the back of the truck and popped it back into place and Ow. I received a um a Navajo name at that time it was called ish you know so that's like the boy who gets bucked that was the name that I earned that day and uh when I was growing up all, <laughs> all the way through high school and this stuff my grandma. that's how my grandmother knew me She'd say that. Is that the boy who gets bucked, you know, as I was growing up? So that's how they knew me. And then my dad had a name for me, too. His name, he used to call me, which in a sense I understand meant like I was a fearful little boy. I guess when I was small, I might have gotten afraid of something. So he always used to call me that, too. So I had them names. And then Mm -hmm. when I, had my ceremonial done in our um, enemy way I got my warrior name too but uh, I cannot I guess share it with anybody except my immediate family because that's my strength and my protection and uh, mm-hmm. if I was ever to get sick and went back to the medicine man uh, we would use that for our strength to go and regain my health and this stuff yeah and so
2: yes yeah. pretty okay.
1: sacred. And, Held on to. And um, I don't know, part of the teachings too is uh, my grandfather always used to have a bunch of arrowheads for different reasons and singings. But when I went into the military, I had uh, some prayers and singings done, and the medicine woman gave me an arrowhead, put it on my dog tags, and said, you know, hey, This is your protection. This is your shield. When you go to the military, you know, always have it around you because it's going to bring you back home safe. And Mm -hmm. you stay holy for four days and stuff. You know, there's a lot of do not do. You know, one of those things is cutting. You know, doing stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe red meat and blood and stuff like that. There's a lot of little things that you can't do. Well, (laughs) I sort of went against that. One of my sons that. He was just a little guy, and at that time, those cereal boxes used to have those uh, Ninja Turtles. And during that all the time, he said, I was being holy, and he said, "Dad," he's a little guy, he said, "Dad, can you cut this out for me? I want these cards." And I got that scissor and cut, and boy, I just hit me. I said, "Oh man, I'm not supposed to do this." And so uh, I just said prayers about it and this stuff. Well, the very next. Happening, and I want to say that later on that morning, the back of my pickup truck, the, the camper that's got that uh, doorway, yeah. sort of for some reason was halfway open. And as I came around that back end of the truck, I ran right into it across my cheek and it cut me just a little bit. And, ah. I, and uh, that blood is supposed to be against things, so. I immediately told that medicine man because they were still there and had some prayers and ceremonial done and this stuff, and he took that lady said it was a medicine woman. She said, uh, kutza, you know, because you cut that, it happened, it's warning you. That's how powerful this uh, prayer and singing is, so mm-hmm. I had to be even more her- holier then, too, and stuff like that, so wow. I believe in that stuff, and I was raised—we were raised that way, so." Mm-hmm. You know, it was pretty crazy. And yeah. Then I had a dream at that time that I was uh, out on the battlefield in, uh, in the desert and there was a berm out there and uh, in that dream there was like a big old palace or building with four pillars and there was a ledge on that pillar and a big old arch doorway and I was, I was laying on the desert floor. I had my mother laying next to me. And we had a M60 machine gun or a 50 cal, and on that sand berm all my other soldiers were behind her. But my mom and I were out in the open. And when those enemies came out on that ledge, they were out there. They laid down, and we started engaging each other. As well, I used that machine gun. I fired, and I was watching where my rounds were hitting until I got to that ledge, that level where the enemy was. Yeah. I fired at it, started strafing them. I hit their leader in the leg, and when I hit that leader in the leg, they all went back to that doorway, out of harm's way, and then I woke up.
0: Interesting.
1: And, well, I told that medicine woman, and she told me, she goes, that's telling you that no matter what happens, you're always going to be protected on that battlefield. That's why your mom was there. That's why we weren't behind the berms, and that enemy left, you know, and you think about that. We fought the battles against Saddam Hussein. Mm -hmm. And we defeated him, but we didn't go and take him then.
2: Yeah. So all that
1: correlates what my dream was all about. So So, interesting. Yeah, I think it is.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) So it was pretty good. So, you know, that's just some of the things that we were raised with and which we believe and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. If you could go back and live there and be able to do what you want to do you know you teach teach at a boarding school and all that would you would you like to be surrounded in that area by your culture and all that well, hard to be away from it
1: I had a lot of opportunities to do that I was asked to go back to Wingate my school I graduated from but I wanted to be away from I guess my people and the surroundings and stuff and I want to see new life and opportunities mm-hmm. in different ways and maybe help other people, too. And yeah. So I'm still at a boarding school. I'm still surrounded by Native Americans, and I still teach them. And
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I think that there are a lot more people out here in the—I guess in Oklahoma and a lot of other places. They have lost a lot of their upbringing, their traditional mm-hmm. beliefs and ways, you know. More influenced by modern times and stuff, and I grew up speaking other language, and we still do that. And uh, out here, a lot of these younger people don't do that. You know,
2: mm.
1: I hate to say that, and they're losing more and more of it. But that's why I try to teach them or tell them, you know, hey, go and uh, learn your ways, mm-hmm. seek your grandparents, ask them what this means, or ask them where they come from. You know, and many different things like that, and. I give them examples of my life and I, you know, say things to them, just like my simple thing of introducing myself, you know, I tell them the meaning behind it. And uh, something that I do, and my grandkids and my kids grew up doing, when the winter came and the snow fell, always go rolling around, my dad would always take us out there in our underwear, roll us around, mm-hmm. say a prayer to the Creator above and this stuff. and. We were little kids and we'd be crying and <laughs> go inside. We'd <and laughs> just dry off. We wouldn't let towel go and dry us off. And it was a um, conditioning us to be men and warriors and also the, to get the Creator above to go look down upon you and know who you are and help you and give you strength. So I raised my kids that way and to this day I still do that. My grandkids will take pictures when they do stuff like that too. They'll go wow. around in the snow and stuff. And I love yeah, that. So it's, it's good. And I tell these students of mine these things, and I say, you need to carry on these traditions. Learn why you're doing this. and mm-hmm. This is how I was raised. This is how I raised my kids. This is how they're raising their kids. you know.
0: Exactly.
1: And it's a lot of different things at like that. You know? mm-hmm.
0: so, you're yeah. doing good work here.
1: Well, I hope so. <laughs>
0: I think you are. And, and I mean, I, I'm inspired. I think that probably on a daily basis you're probably – helping your students in probably more way
1: than one, so thanks for what you do. Yeah, Well, I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm here at Riverside. I think that uh, especially right now at pandemic time, we have some leadership that uh, our administrators are doing the best they can. They're Mm -hmm. adhering to what the government's telling them to do and dictating them what to do and how to do it and how much we can do and everything else. Basically with their hands tied, but yet they're giving us an opportunity to continue to work with our students, and we're reaching out, you know, virtually working mm-hmm. with them, get on the phones or get on Zoom and try to help them that way, and For sure. hopefully continue to be successful in their lives and understand the importance of education, you know. So,
0: well, and and you're a good example. I mean, we're here in Oklahoma today at Riverside, and it is really hot outside in my opinion. And James came back and he was like, Yeah, I went for a run earlier today. I was like, In this heat and he said, Yes. And you survived it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I grew up running and whether I was in New Mexico or here in Oklahoma or wherever I was going to school and running on the scholarship and all um, True. <laughs> I went and, uh focused my time to do a lot of my training. Anywhere from 10 o'clock to about 3 o'clock in the afternoon during the heat of the day. Hmm. And I always had this belief that it would make me a stronger, better runner. And uh, I do believe that, too. And uh, I recall a race in Wichita State University. And the temperature was like 104 degrees, I think it was. And we ran four miles at that time because of the heat. And Mm -hmm. I ended up winning it. And uh, needless to say, the people, as they were finishing... There were, a lot of them were affected by it, and I think like uh, 8 to 12 of them were transported to the hospital with the ambulance because of the heat. Yeah. But I wasn't really bothered by it because yeah, I had a exactly. condition, you know. and so And so it didn't really bother me. And I tell these kids the same thing, and uh, my wife gets on to me about that. I might mow the lawn or go work during the heat of the day. She'd get mad. You're not young anymore, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Get your drink water. <laughs> Maybe say, it is keeping right. you young, though. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good. You know, I, I'm I'm pretty aware of my surroundings and what I can tolerate and stuff like that too. Yeah. So.
0: Kudo, kudos to you. I used to be able to do it too, and now that I've gotten so far away from it, it's I don't know if it's ever coming back. So, <laughs> so. Navajo is like no other native language that I am like. It doesn't sound like the native languages I hear. All the time, like the Kiowa and Apache and Comanche, Choctaw—it's very, very different. Well,
1: you know what? Uh, those Kiowas are uh, want b be like now. Who's speaking?
0: Oh, oh, I didn't see them
1: there, uh, Mister.
0: <laughs> I just said.
1: That. But uh, you know what? Uh, you
0: know those Kiowa, <laughs> no, especially stick, uh, half Kiowa, half Comanche. Yeah, but you know, something yeah. I felt
1: to mention too—that uh, you know, as that I was, was cool. growing up. I used to sit around as these old Navajo code talkers used to talk. And I'd sit there and play, and they'd be telling stories, you know. Yeah. I wish I would have had the knowledge or sense enough to record some of these stories and this stuff. But as a young kid, I didn't understand the importance of it. And they'd be playing and drinking and crying. And I'd go and look at them and wonder why they were doing this. And I had little green army men in. One time I was playing with the green army men, and I had a flashlight. And we, like I said, we had kerosene lamps; we didn't have electricity, yeah. so the light was sort of dim. And I had a flashlight, and I was going across that rug against my army soldiers, and man, all of a sudden I just got snapped, slapped in the back of my head real hard, and they got mad at me, and I started to cry as a little kid. I couldn't understand that, but. As I grew up and realized that those were bringing back memories of those oh. uh, code talkers, and I guess they had a spotlight somewhere along the way, you know, and it oh snapped goodness. that person back. And, and he said, you know, don't be playing like that, you know, and stuff like that. And I used to have oh. a uh, couple of uh, uncles, mm-hmm. Albert and Benny, and um, they were veterans too, and, I always used to feel sorry for them because I'd see them around gallop, drinking and this stuff. And uh, Albert was wounded and had uh, crutches and this stuff. And Benny, my uncle, would tell me the first time I heard that was old soldiers never die, they just fade away. And I was always proud of oh. my uncles that way too. You know? so,
2: yeah.
1: Yeah, but I grew up with them, and I had a uh, Mister Evans as my. Uh, my uh, Pee Wee League coach and he was a code talker. I used to play with some Smiley's that were, that lived across uh, at Church Rock, you know, and uh, their dad was code talker. And uh, when i go back home, I'd go visit a, uh, a uh, Frank Oleto and he was a uh, medicine man and did a lot of prayers for us and he was code talker and stuff like that too. So they were all around and I had a, a uh grandpa father that was a co- talker too, so really? Good, yeah? Yeah,
0: <laughs> what so. was your grandfather's name?
1: The name Lamu Yazzi. How so. do you spell that? Lamu.
0: Oh
1: Lamuel yeah, Lamu Yazi. Y A Z Z I E. A Z Z I E. Yeah. So That just but came just, to your mind last minute, yeah, right? Yeah, it did. It's <laughs> it just never dawned on me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well are there you've kind of Sprinkled in some really good words of wisdom throughout our conversation. Is there anything here that you'd officially like to share with myself or others as words of wisdom for us?
1: Well, the only thing that really comes to mind is, I guess, spirituality. Remember that we're Native American people, we've always been spiritual, we've always had the Creator above. Mother Earth that's provided for us and the Creator above looking down, blessing us. If we can return back to them ways and be spiritual, we can go further in life, not only ourselves, but our family and our people. Be proud of who we are, where you came from, and seek wisdom from the elders and have that respect. And another thing, respect your warriors or your veterans. They did these things, not only for our people, but for the whole United States. Mm -hmm. There would be no other place in the world that I would want to live, except here in the United States. I went to Iraq. i seen a lot of things, and i seen a lot of life that, you know, the hardships that they go through, too. And we have opportunities. We can't be making excuses, you know, blaming things. We're going to go as far as we want to go. That's up to you totally, but always remember the Creator above and who you are. Be strong in that
0: manner. It's beautiful. Thank you. I definitely will take that to heart. Well, thanks for spending some time with me today, James. We had this impromptu meeting, and I feel so <laughs> blessed that you took some time out of your day to do this with me. So, <laughs> Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> when you're leaving, you would say something like, on you know. It's not, yeah, it's not really a good buy, but it's the same. And here at Chickasha Wings, we teach people to fly. We've got 11 airplanes, 9 flight instructors, and about 5 mechanics. We turn out about 80 new certificates or ratings each year. And we train pilots who now fly at the major airlines. We have, they fly for the Air Force, the FAA, for private jets. They so even have a few missionary pilots. Our customers come from all over the United States. Here at Chickasha, we're able to provide lower costs, a more focused training program, and we're able to provide a higher level of customer service. My favorite thing about this business is helping
0: people, because I see people go from not knowing anything about it to being an airline pilot. Come out here and learn to fly. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C H O C T A L K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki! Thank you, my friends.